Beer, Cheese, and Murder is a true crime podcast about Wisconsin from Wisconsin. Due to the nature of true crime, this podcast contains explicit and graphic content which may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. To Beer, Cheese, and Murder. I'm Erica. Joining me today, we have Dina, Jill, Kayla, and Harry. All right, what are you guys drinking and eating today? I got nothing. <gasps> okay, I'm- so I I know I just skipped Jill, but I'm so excited. So I went to. <laughs> She's late and then she skips you, Jill. Nice. (laughs) So um, I went to Drink Wisconsin over in Deer District, aka known as the area by Pfizer Forum. And they have brandy slushes, Mm -hmm. um, which I believe they put like a cherry liqueur or something in the bottom and they pour the actual like brandy slush from the like the frozen concoction uh, uh, fountain. Um, but that was delicious. And honestly, that's why I'm late to the podcast. So <laughs> sorry guys. Why are we not surprised? <laughs> yeah, right. That seems <laughs> to be a trend. Right. It's like a 65 <laughs> degree sunny day out here in Milwaukee and I'm walkable to everything. So a brandy slush from drink Wisconsinly was definitely on the list. And also it's a graduation day for a lot of people. Oh. Um, here and so it was a busy busy afternoon around town and so yeah it was just a lot of seeing people in caps and gowns and all that so congratulations to all of the Milwaukee graduates what a crazy time to graduate and not actually have like a like a commencement I heard it's all virtual like this is weird this year's probably better than last year yeah last year was really bad yeah, but what a weird time. So anyways, yeah. so the brandy slush was extra enjoyed. But anywho, sorry, Jill, I skipped you. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, so I don't have any food today, but not sure where this beer came from, <laughs> but it was in my fridge and I was thrilled that it is a local boldly brewed beer from the Shaw, um, also known as Waukesha, Wisconsin, but it is Raised Grain Brewing Company. And oh, Raised Grain, yeah. I, I have no idea why it was in my fridge, but I was happy to see it. Um, and it's called, it's called Raised Grain take, has some great brews. Yeah, Take Her Easy? Take Her Easy. No! Okay, Raised <laughs> Grain has great, Take Her Easy is really good. Um, yeah. Raised Grains got some really good ones out there. I can't believe it's right in Rockwisha, so I got to go check it out. But um, that is what I specifically carry at my wine bar is a lot of Raised Grain beers like Guitar City, Take Her Easy. Um, God, they've got some really good ones and some really creative names. Raised Grain's a really good one here. So this is what it says. Oh, Naked Threesome. Naked Threesome is the one that we normally go for. That's a Raised Grain beer. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad that is the name of the beer. I thought you were going to get us to do something here, but um, so we always it, does, go for. 
It says, kick back and relax with this easy drinking pale ale. This Midwest delight, a cross between a Northeast and West Coast style, is brewed with Amarillo Citra and Mosaic hops. Enjoy every little moment and live life with a smile. And then it says, Sante, Sante, S-A-N-T-E with looks like an emphasis on the E. So there we have it. What about you, Terry? I am having just a normal glass of wine. <laughs> White or red. White or red. But I am drinking out of my let that shit go cup that you got. Oh, so the cup yeah. came from somebody in Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> and what does Erica have? So I um, am actually deviating from my usual beer selection this week, and I am drinking a glass of uh, it's Baraboo Bluffs Winery's Baraboo Blush wine. Um, and it's oh, I wonder where our podcast uh, murder is taking place. Erica's oh. giving the hint now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it is from uh, Baraboo Blush. And so it's a blush wine and it is from the Baraboo Bluff Winery. So a little bit of a tongue twister there. Um, but yes, so that is the it's baraboo but it's it's kind of the wisconsin dells area so i did choose this specifically so the timing of when this episode will be released will be father's day weekend when we are all convened in the wisconsin dells for the annual wisconsin towing association tow show and so uh, with that in mind i tried to select a case that will match up with where we will be during that time um, and so that is what led to the Baraboo Bluff. So it is uh, about 11% alcohol. It is rated as right in the middle of dry and sweet on the dry scale. Um, it has flavor notes, are cherry and rose hips. It states that it pairs well with salad, pasta, and almond cheese. I am um, not doing that per se today. I'll talk about that next. Um, and then it says uh, Baraboo Bluff Winery is located on the northwest corner of the Baraboo Bluff Range. It offers majestic, breathtaking views of the Baraboo River Valley. Come for the wine and stay for the view. Sounds lovely. Oh. I actually did also get a second bottle just to kind of and not the same wine, a second bottle of a different blend uh, to uh, test it out. Forget exactly what it's called. It's like a tropical blend, I want to say. But I mean, we got to really expand my tasting horizon. So I had to do two. Um, and while I said I was not pairing it with uh, what it says it pairs well with, I am pairing it with a homemade cheese pizza. Um, so uh, this is kind of usually what I do. We actually did this for dinner yesterday, um, but the kids love pizza. Sean and I love pizza and it's a real quick, easy way to make it at home versus the expense of spending it out. So what I use is I use the golden home ultra thin crust pizza you can buy at the store. So they have kind of a, I want to say it's probably more like a 12 inch crust, that comes in a three pack and then they have like a smaller, maybe eight inch crust that comes in a five pack. So the smaller ones work out perfectly because one pizza of that works out for both kids. And then one large one works out for Sean and I. Wait, so, so this is the one that you made that one night 
when I was over, Erica, yes, yeah, yeah, I was like picking. I was like, oh, if Roman's not gonna eat that, sorry, little one year old, that pizza, it was good. It's really good. Yeah, so it's very basic, but it's very easy. I found that I really love this crust. You have to get the right crust. I've tried different crusts before, and they just don't work the same. And it's much easier with doing the store bought versus making my own, which I've done that in the past as well. Um, but yeah, so what I use is the golden home ultra thin crust pizza. And then I also use, uh, the Cantadina. I'm probably going to butcher this Cantadina pizza sauce, and then the Sargento's off the block mozzarella cheese. So my tip that I do is I brush the edges of the crust with olive oil and then sprinkle it with garlic salt. And then I spread the pizza sauce on it and sprinkle it with the cheese. And then it, uh, I follow the baking instructions on the package for the crust, which is for a small one, which is what I made for myself for lunch today. I sent a picture out through the group text. Um, it takes about eight minutes. So it goes pretty quick. But you want to put the, another tip, I guess, if you're going to make homemade pizza is I put the um, pizza tray or pizza, what do you want to call that? The baking pan, pizza pan. That's it. Uh, on the, in the oven when it preheats so that it, get, it gets as hot as the oven does. And then that it helps cook the crust a bit more because you want it to be crispy. And I usually put it on the very bottom of it. And then I uh, have it over the top of parchment paper. So it works out really well. But anyway, so I've got my blush wine and I got my little mini mozzarella cheese pizza. So I am ready to rock and roll. Sounds delicious. All right. So obviously there are, are you, are you sewing again, Jill? <laughs> <laughs> no, today I'm fixing jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. So we obviously, we covered that this is a Baraboo Bluff wine, which takes us to Wisconsin Dells area. So our Wisco fact is also curated specifically to match up with Wisconsin Dells. While Wisconsin Dells is known as the water park capital of the world, the water parks aren't the only thing that attracts tourists to the area. One of the hit attractions in the area was the Tommy Bartlett's Thrill Show, which was an acrobatic water skiing show. The show itself takes place on Lake Delton, which is actually a man-made lake. The lake was formed in 1927 to attract tourists to the area and attracting tourists it did, which is kind of ultimately how it ended up to become the Wisconsin Dells that we know today. So it started with this lake, they brought in tourists and that sort of led to the expansion. Um, I mean, you could go to it, you know it's a tourist town when you drive through Wisconsin Dells. It is just set up that way. I don't, I can't even imagine somebody living there that wasn't a tourist um, the way that it's set up. So back to Lake Delton. So it's man-made, um, but heavy rains. I don't know if you guys remember the summer of 2008 was a really bad year for us with heavy rains. I remember um, there's multiple floods, I want to say, but I know for a time that even Highway 94 was actually shut down because it was flooded over the highway for a section and people couldn't drive through there. It was so crazy. But in addition to some of the stuff more locally, 
where we are, the heavy rains that summer also led to a washout of Lake Delton emptying the lake. And oh, houses yeah, it was bad. Yeah, I remember that. I was really yeah, my friend's dad has a place up there, and I just remember seeing the pictures. It was crazy. Yeah, it was full homes were falling into the lake. I remember seeing it. Well, the entire lake itself was emptied. Um, so this entire man-made lake basically just washed out. Uh, so millions of dollars were spent repairing and restoring the lake, and it was officially reopened on June 9th of 2009. Um, and so while surviving the washout of Lake Delton, uh, the Tommy Bartlett show survived that. But the global pandemic that we faced in 2020, and I guess technically still, was ultimately too much for the nearly 70-year-old show to continue closing for good last year. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. sad. Really? Yeah. It's closed for good? Yeah. I even went on their website and it said that they're, they're closed for good. They said that it was just too... Wow. They couldn't recover yeah. from the, the losses, so they closed it down. I think there's still like a Tommy Bartlett experience or exploratory something or other. Yeah, they've got like a down. museum or something there. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, it was nearly 70 years that the, the show actually lasted. And it cites on their website that they have 30 million visitors and 18,700 shows over wow. history. That is so sad. What a mm-hmm. shame. I would have loved, I wish, I wish they had, were still around. And, you know, especially since things are starting to open back up. Cause I, I think I saw them once, but I was like 11 when I went there for the Girl Scouts, like a long time ago. I'd love to, I remember it being fun and it being like really entertaining, but I don't remember it very well. And I feel like I'd appreciate it more now as an adult. I just would like to be able to have that experience, but unfortunately they closed down. So, oh, so sad. Yes. But the lake is back in working order and I can only imagine that the uh, repair and restoration was um, done so that if anything like what happened in 2008 happens again it won't uh, won't flood out this time that's our Wisco fact you guys ready for the case yes all right so this episode is called the great Wisconsin manhunt Hmm. Manhunt or Bigfoot hunt? Manhunt. <laughs> I can That's tell Dina's trying to guess already. I'm just trying to figure it out. It doesn't sound familiar. No. Uh no, the Bigfoot hunt is in Door County and it's not much of a hunt because Bigfoot is in the garage. <laughs> Why isn't Bigfoot outside the garage? <laughs> Probably because John hasn't put it up yet. <laughs> Sasquatch actually, Dad Sasquatch actually made it to Door County. Yeah, it's in the garage. Yep. He got transported. Yeah, he's a he big got boy. Transported. No, I imagine that that might be a project for Memorial Day weekend when we go up. <laughs> oh, Erica, oh, I, I will wait. send you a photo for the uh, Instagram post of Dad with the Sasquatch because then people will know what we're talking about because that's yeah. pretty funny. we will will have to do that (laughs) all right but no this is the great wisconsin manhunt uh 
And most of the information that I got for this case actually comes from an article that I found online by the Reedsburg Times Press, and it was written by Erica Dines. And it's an, it is called In-Depth Historians Recall Area's Most Gruesome Crimes. And it was published in September of 2018. All right, so here we go. Recent, recent, okay. Yeah, it was published fairly recently, but the case itself is not recent. So it's kind of a recollection of um, some famous things that occurred in the area. Okay. In the summer of 1961, three friends were having a night on the town in Lake Delton, Wisconsin. It was certainly a far cry in terms of the nightlife from the Chicago hometown of William J. Welter, Richard Nickel, and Lawrence Nutley. Despite that, yeah, Nutley, that's a good one. <laughs> Larry Nutley. I'm just um, I don't know if he went by Larry, but his name is Lawrence. Despite that, the three men carried out with reckless abandon their behavior, igniting suspicion amongst the local observers. The three chose the Ishnala Supper Club overlooking Mirror Lake as their destination for their raucous night out. Nothing like a nice romantic. <laughs> <place>. <laughs> <laughs> Wild nice night out. Ruckus, ruckus night out. Let's go to the supper club. Yeah, I know. Middle, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it would make more sense in Chicago, but not so much in the middle of Wisconsin Dells or Lake Delton. And at this time, it was probably not the Wisconsin Dells that we know of it today. But these three men, they're living it up, having a good life. So they, they're at the supper club. They had a few drinks, bought a few rounds for the house, enjoyed their dinner, provided a generous tip to the waitress, and they were even seen using $20 bills to light their cigarettes. So they were setting their bills on fire. in the 60s? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, $20 in 1961 is the equivalent of about $175 today. And they were literally burning it, which certainly gives new meaning to money burning a hole in your pocket. Yeah. Seriously. Wow, a bunch of high rollers from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, so you can understand why people would find this behavior just a little suspicious. So their behavior was definitely not low key and it tripped the suspicion of a few of the locals. I mean, you're talking middle of Wisconsin, not Chicago. So this is definitely not the normal type of behavior that you see. Um, As a result, a host and a bartender from the supper club were suspicious enough that they actually called the police. Answering the call were Sauk County Traffic Officer James Jantz and Lake Delton Police Officer Bob Cole. When they arrived outside of the supper club, they noticed the license plate on the suspect's car, which was a 1968 black Oldsmobile, had been placed over the top of other plates. So already you got multiple plates on the Mm -hmm. car. That doesn't seem normal. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys watch a lot of shows on tv but it seems like they may have pulled a switcheroo on the license plates to avoid suspicion so switcheroo Uh, the officers ran the plates and in fact discovered that neither of the plates that were on the car belonged to the car it was currently affixed to so red flag red flag 
Exercising caution, the police officers kept their distance, waiting for the suspects to leave in their vehicle and following behind as they pulled out of the parking lot. The officers followed the Oldsmobile East onto Highway 12 for a little ways until signaling for them to pull over in Lake Delton across the street from the Cedar, Cedar Dell Motel, which today would be in front of the K. McKessie or McKesey administration building. <clears throat> but this wouldn't be your routine traffic stop. So they were suspicious. They ran the place that didn't belong to the car. They probably not wanting to have any kind of conflict if they ended up being dangerous in a, in a more public populated area outside of the supper club, waited till they were a ways away, following down, them down the highway. Um, and they pulled them over. So both cops kind of were approaching the vehicle together from either side of the car, trying to make sure that they kind of had them surrounded, I guess, even though there was just two of them, but they did what they could to um, kind of have the upper hand. As the two officers approached the vehicle, all three men jumped out and made a break for it, attempting to flee the police. Officer Cole grabbed one of the men to halt his escape and make an arrest, only to have a gun pressed to his head with a threat to shoot. Yikes. Somewhere along the way, the officers must have called backup because as backup arrived, the sickening sound of gunshots rang out in the darkness. According to witnesses, there were as many as 30 gunshots. Following the gunshots, the Oldsmobile, again, carrying the three men, fled the scene. So they weren't able to escape. Gunshots rang out. They hopped back in the car and booked it. Following the altercation, Officer Cole was seriously wounded and Officer Dance was dead, having been shot twice, once in his lower back and once behind his right ear. Eek. Oh. Despite this devastating turn of events, the chase was on as the manhunt began. The sheriff at the time was Dolly Spencer. And at first I was really excited, the fact that there was a female sheriff in 1961. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be very odd. <laughs> well, yeah. Until you realize that it's a man. Well, it is a woman. Oh, okay. But what I found was that her husband, Mike Spencer, had been elected as sheriff the prior two terms, and there were limitations, I think, for how many terms in a row that you could be elected for. <laughs> no so way. she ran so that they could still rule oh. the town. Yes. Yep. Oh. So she basically was just the figurehead for the sheriff's office, and I think everybody elected her knowing that he was going to still be running the show. Wisconsin. Small town Wisconsin. Okay. Yep. So she's basically just signing the paperwork and he was, he was running the show. So my excitement over that kind of plummeted when I saw that. Faded fast. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I guess everybody, even though they, um, even though it was just for show, they must've had some confidence in him knowing that he was going to still be running the show. So, but it was actually him who led the chase. So he was the one leading the effort to chase after these men who are now on the run. So his name was Mike Spencer. Mike Spencer and other officers headed to the scene and tried to chase the men down on Highway 12, heading in the direction of Linden Station. 
Spencer at one time attempted to stop the car once it was around London Station by shooting the gas tank and left fender. A piece of metal flew off from the shooting, um, and today it can actually be found at the Sauk County Historical Society Museum. So it has bullet holes in it, and it's on display um, at the Historical Society Museum. The fleeing car following this spun out of control and crashed in front of a resident's home. Uh, one of the three men, Richard Nickel, was thrown from the wreckage but survived, and he was arrested and taken to the Moston Hospital. The two other men, William Walter and Lawrence Nutley, escaped on foot running into the woods. And they may have escaped capture for now, but they were a car and a man down, and they were outnumbered by the police. So you had the backup chasing after them, and then you got more people joining in on this bad hunt. So police doubled down on their efforts. Uh, if you've ever seen a TV show or movie dealing with police, you know that there is nothing they take more serious than an officer down. And they had one down and another who was gravely wounded. Um, and I believe that Officer Jance, who was killed at the scene, from what I read online, he had a, a young family. He had a young son and a pregnant wife at the oh. time when he was killed. So especially when you've got a smaller knit community like that, they're going to take that very personally. Which um, community was he from? Was he from Sauk or was he from Baraboo? I think he was the one from Sauk County. Yeah, he was a Sauk County traffic officer. So they were increasing their efforts and going to chase down these men who are now on foot and in the run through the woods. Police what set month up, of the year? I, heard, I know it was 61. Was, what month did you um, say? Good question. I want to say June, but I... Oh, okay. So it's... It says summer. It just says okay. summer. Right. I don't know exactly when it happened, but summer... Yeah, I was just wondering summer. with the, the run through the woods, if it was winter or... Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that, that would have gone very differently if it had been yeah. winter time. So police set up about 150 square miles of roadblocks and helicopters were called in. In addition to that, police canvassed for volunteers to help capture the two men on the loose. So they were reaching out to even the surrounding counties. Um, up to 20 different counties answered the call. Hundreds of volunteers stretching into Sauk and Juneau counties joined the search. And amongst the volunteers, that also included teenagers who were then sent into the woods with guns. Oh, geez. So you got teens going into the woods with rifles on a manhunt for men on the loose. Yeah. Welcome to Wisconsin, fellas. Well, and it said too <laughs> we that grew I mean, up hunting. Yeah, 1961 yeah. was a different time. It's yeah. Kind of the times those teens growing up in that area, they knew their rifles. Um, they were familiar with it. And even if you had a team who was a hunter and knew how to use a rifle today, you wouldn't add them to the numbers for volunteers. Yeah. But in 1961, it was a different, different time. Um, a book was actually written about this manhunt. Um, and it was written by Marshall Cook. 
And the title of that is The Great Wisconsin Manhunt of 1961. So I imagine there's more detail in there, but um, I don't know if I was going to buy that book just for for this episode. But I imagine it is very interesting. I mean, reading about this is definitely something that I never knew happened. And it seems like a pretty interesting, interesting kind of tale. I can see a movie being made out of it for sure. It gets 3.3 out of 5 rating on Goodreads. I'm just looking it up. Yeah. Originally published in 2004. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned that Officer Jantz, uh had passed away. He was a well-respected officer and father with a young child and another on the way. So it's something that the police and the locals were taking personally and taking very seriously. And this type of event was nothing that had ever really happened in that part before. So they, people were obviously very scared. Um, This kind of thing just didn't happen. And most people didn't even lock their houses. It just, there just never was a need for that kind of thing. So this type of thing happening hit the community very hard, uh, which is, I think, obvious when you consider how many people responded uh, to volunteer to hunt down these men. Um, And I think the representative for the Historical Society say part of the reason why this article came out was because they were kind of unveiling some of this information um, as part of their display um, said that it was kind of a wake-up call for the community having this type of thing happen it's even kind of I think something you hear in a lot of different stories the way that kids were left to just kind of run around and you never really thought about the safety of it Mm -hmm. Um, as the years have progressed I mean these days people aren't going to just let their kids roam around there's the thought of predators and things like that you never would have even thought of so this is a a bit of a wake-up call for the community in terms of just locking the doors on the house and that there could be bad people out there and you don't really realize it so now they're in a situation where you got known armed fugitives on the run in their community nobody knows where they are and they know that they're dangerous because they have already killed a police officer um residents in the area with these roadblocks they're going about their business going to work going home from work now they're passing through these roadblocks um knowing that something's going on so that again ratchets up the fear having to pass through that you could also hear the helicopters flying close around the area and the helicopters had loudspeakers that they were using to shout out um, to the fugitives to give themselves up. So, I mean, can you imagine? Very nutly, show yourself. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're very nutly. You're in your, you're in your home and you hear helicopters flying around telling these armed fugitives to give themselves up. And you don't know if they're creeping in the woods behind your house. You don't know where they are. So I can imagine that that would be pretty terrifying for people. I hope everybody lock their doors. When they heard that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me, um, it's a story I actually would love to cover, but it didn't take place in Wisconsin. But in, I think it was like Fox Point or something, Illinois, there was the police officer that 
ended up, I think he killed himself, but he had called it in to say yeah. that he was, there were fugitives. That he and, was pursuing on foot. And yes. Yeah. Ended up that he he killed himself because he was siphoning money off of some charity. That's yeah, I, I remember. Yes, that. but it was I would kept I, like it was on the news and it was like this manhunt for the supposed people that he had been pursuing, which ended up not actually existing. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, we live in southern Wisconsin, not that far, I guess, from Illinois, technically. And so I was like, where is that? Because do we have to worry about? people being on the loose and not knowing where they are. And um, I guess we're very much further away from that type of situation. But I, I mean, it just reminds me of that in terms of these people being in their homes, knowing that there's people on the loose and not having any clue where they are and just being scared, hearing these helicopters and loudspeakers shooting for shouting for these men to give themselves up. I mean, in Wisconsin, we have to be wary of anybody from Illinois in the first place. (laughs) We know how they are. Those fibs. (laughs) Yes. I say when there's one Illinois person on the podcast here. (laughs) (laughs) Not originally Illinois. Technically born in Wisconsin. The rest of you live there. So I'm there all the time. (laughs) Yes. Well, and you're looking to transplant to Wisconsin. So. I am. I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll keep an eye out once you come, Terry. <laughs> I mean, letting these <laughs> Illinois people into our state. We got to be cautious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So these guys, again, they'd been in a car accident. So God knows, you know, if they'd been injured or what they're on the run They've got hundreds of people hunting them down with rifles in the woods, helicopters overhead with loudspeakers telling them to give themselves up. Uh, They already had one member of their party captured. Um, So they were very definitely outnumbered. And while the community was on edge, the two men were eventually run to ground. So initially, first officers were able to track down Lawrence Nutley and Larry Nutley. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, I just can't get that out of my head, Jill. <laughs> so how many Larry days? Nutley. I think how many days did it go on? It, I don't know how many days, but it definitely had to be a couple because William Welter uh, ended up being tracked down by bloodhounds. So that's another mm. thing. I can just have, I just picture this in my head. It's like such the makings for a movie. I can just picture the helicopters <laughs> and the loudspeakers and these kids going into the woods with shotguns and officers leading the bloodhounds into the mm. woods, searching for these guys. It's just such an image in my head. That would be a good movie. Right? Especially the whole sixties thing. I mean, they did make this movie, only it was different. It was uh, with Wesley Snipes and Tommy Lee Jones. What is yeah. it? Yeah. Not The Fugitive. Was it The Fugitive? Uh, no, it was C- No. Gosh. U.S. Marshals. That's one. Yeah. Oh, U.S. Marshals. That. Yeah. that was that a good movie, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fugitive was good too, though. Yes. So these bloodhounds tracked down William Welter. And a part of the reason why, so he was injured in a fall during the escape. So he had injured his leg and he ended up crawling into underbrush about a mile from the crash site. And I think he was so desperate when they found him because of his injuries that he was like actually asked them to call the police because he 
was just like, yeah. So when they did track him down, his knee where he was injured was infected and filled with maggots. Oh, oh poor ew. guy. Oh, <laughs> poor guy. So that fact is why I say it's got to have been a couple of days for that yeah. type of situation to develop. Yeah. And in addition to that, he was also suffering from insect bites and poison ivy. So he's probably not in good, good shape when he was captured. Um, at the time of the capture of these three men, the Sauk County Jail was out of date. And so the three men were actually taken to the Dane County Jail in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and I think Richard Nickel, who is the first one to be arrested i think he just kind of was like all right i'm caught whatever and gave up the fight but apparently defeat was a hard pill to swallow for the other two men as lawrence nutley and william walter put forth a valiant effort to escape they used paper napkins hardened with soap to plug the locks in their cell doors and they made their way through an air vent but were ultimately caught before making their escape so the stuff people come up with hey yeah (laughs) i yeah um the three men were charged and tried for their wisconsin crimes after a seven-week trial a jury found all three guilty of first degree murder for the murder of officer uh, jance and attempted murder first degree attempted first degree murder of officer cole who ended up surviving due to life-saving surgery. So he had been gravely injured and ended up having to go through surgery, but he was able to survive. Um, With this conviction, the three were sentenced to life in prison and 30 years for the attempted murder. Due to state law at the time, William Walter and Richard Nickel were eligible for parole after only 12 years in prison. And all three would eventually be released from prison. So Richard Nickel was not a part of the first escape attempt, but apparently he did escape uh, after being released from prison to attend an AA meeting. So he must have still been a part of uh, his prison sentence, but was on some kind of release program to go to AA. And he managed to escape. And he actually stayed at large, living a secret life for 15 years before he was recaptured. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So do we know why these guys were badasses even before this event? Yeah. I will Are you kind of talk- touch on okay. that, but I wasn't able to find a ton of information. So I oh, no. suspect, or at least I would hope that that book, um, The Great Wisconsin Manhunt of 1961, would have more information. But I will at least touch on what I was able to find. Um, So I'm actually on the website for the book that I had looked up, and it does indicate that the the manhunt for the two remaining fugitives um, that we were just talking about started on August 21st and lasted for a week. So they yeah. were caught after a week. So wow. now we know how long it takes maggots to get <laughs> into the knees. Hey, they use it to estimate decomposition for dead bodies. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so even with um, even though they were you know sentenced for however long in prison due to the laws at the time. Eventually, all three men were eligible parole and are now released. 
And it is believed that all three of them are still alive out there hmm. somewhere. And again, to Jill's point, so while this is a fascinating tale and the makings of a movie, you might be wondering <laughs> why did they pull, why did they run when they pulled over in the first place? Why mm-hmm. didn't they, and why were the license plates on the car messed up? Exactly. Why did it all go to hell? And mm-hmm. why Ishnala for a boys night right? out? <laughs> boys night out. Let's go party at the supper club. Hey, I mean, Ishnala is a pretty fancy place, but I don't know. I mean, maybe that was the hip happening place back in 1961. Could be. I mean, I feel like supper clubs back in the 60s probably would have been pretty, pretty cool. Um, but anyway, so at the start of the story, we were talking about how they were basically throwing their money around, buying drinks at the bar, using lit 20s, which was almost $200 at the time to light cigarettes. I mean literally burning money um, well all that money that they were tossing around was stolen well that i kind of figured mm. when they were burning yeah. it i yeah. figured that it would yeah they, yeah. yeah so the three men responsible for the great wisconsin manhunt of 1961 were armed robbers and it said criminals from chicago so i suspect that those crimes actually occurred in chicago and they're probably on the lamb if you will which is what brought mm-hmm. them to wisconsin darn fibs yeah um and i think forgetting their surroundings and the fact that they were in the middle of podunk wisconsin versus chicago they got a little too careless with flashing around their ill-gotten gains and spooked the locals so they raised suspicions raised the hackles um and i did try to see if i could find more information on the robberies that they committed like where it was committed that type of thing but in terms of their sentencing i don't know if they were ever charged with crimes for the robberies themselves um it seems that the murder and attempted murder and the ensuing chaos of the manhunt overshadowed their prior misdeeds including the misdeeds that ultimately triggered the event but considering how quickly Mm -hmm. they were up for parole they should have been piling more charges on these guys to keep them in jail longer my guess too is there's potentially a jurisdiction dispute. So if the crimes themselves for the robberies occurred in sh- like Illinois or Chicago, they may have said, "All right, well, not we're not going to send them back to Chicago to face charges there, because the the bigger charges or the more severe charges occurred in Wisconsin, and they didn't. I'm sure they probably didn't want to hand them mm-hmm. over to Illinois. They probably were like, no, they're staying here and they're.'" facing their punishment for killing a you know a police officer and attempting to kill another one but we're still going to let them get out and go to aa meeting yeah yeah and if he'd been in jail he why would he need an aa meeting well and something i thought of yeah out of all the people in jail like don't you think there would be aa and na meetings within right it's not like he's the only one in there that's got an addiction issue Right. You, but you would be surprised, and he probably wasn't, but he was the only, at least one of the ones that escape. But I think you'd be surprised, or I'd be surprised. I haven't looked it up, but I mean, it seems like you watch. Sean likes these types of shows, so watching shows on like drug lords and border patrol stuff. I don't know. Anyway, I feel like they're actually 
as a lot of stuff, contraband, if you will, that makes it into prisons that you would think would be under more control. Mm -hmm. And so you'd think, why would somebody who's in prison have an addiction problem or be able to develop an addiction problem if they're in jail under lockdown? But I think drugs and stuff still find their way into jail for sure and they make their own hooch yeah jail yeah i watched 60 days in i know all that inside (laughs) (laughs) yeah they use fruit they rot the fruit and make the it turns into an alcohol and they they can get drunk i'll be all set if i go to jail so i mean i hope it never happens but i'll be able to get my hooch on from Jurassic Park, I will say, where there's a will, there's a way. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't able to find a whole lot of information about the crimes prior to it, but essentially they were on the lam from armed robberies that they had committed. Okay, what does, what does on the lam actually stand Seriously, for? Kayla. <laughs> Means they were on the run. I no, actually looked that? it up at one time. I don't is it know. L-A-M or L-A-M-B? I think L-A-M. it's L-A-M. What does it stand for? It was slang vernacular. I mean, I know when someone says on the lamb or if someone said, you know, I, I understand what they mean, but what does it actually stand for? On a right. long oh, no. ass <laughs> mission. Hang on. Long hang ass on. mission. <laughs> it could be. <sighs> what if it is? You laugh now. What if all of a sudden they look it up and they're like, hey, it's long ass mission. <laughs> right. Limited. Okay. Who's looking it up? I got it. It what just says it? it means running away or being a fugitive from the law. Yep. Uh, in escape status, the origin of the expression is in heated dispute among slaying etymologists. Oh. But is it L A M or L A M B? Dina and I are curious. L A M. No, it's L A M. She said. That's what I said. It's a long ass, long ass mission. Long ass mission. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's a couple of different possibilities in terms of the origin of it. So there is a speculation that it may be rooted in the dialect Scandinavian verb "lamb," as in the 1525, his wife sore lambing him meaning to beat, pound, or strike. Mark Twain used it twice, lambing the lady in 1855 and lamb like all creation in 1865, both clearly meaning to beat. Um, The suggestion, suggested connection is that to avoid a feared lambing one lambs. Now we know. Who knew? And that's yep. your random fact of the day, people. You're All welcome. Right. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. It's so it sounds like it's debated as to what the origin of it is, but essentially it does mean um on the run or right. on loose. Um, so ultimately they were a little too flashy, got themselves caught. Moral of the story is if you're going to commit robbery. Maybe keep a low profile, but really don't commit robbery. Um, Don't steal and don't kill. Very simply, just be good to each other. So that's the case for today. I I feel like I'm waiting for the movie. I'm waiting for the movie. (laughs)
is Samuel L. Jackson or Tommy Lee Jones or <laughs> who's going to be in it? <laughs> I don't know. It's definitely, sound, I'm like, just Tommy Lee Jones would be too old now, I would think. Would yeah, he? probably. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. If only Chris Farley was still alive, he would definitely Aww. be one of the characters. He would she definitely. Him. Yeah. Why do you picture him? Well, just like lighting 20s on fire in the back like ha 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 look at us we're on top of the world kind of thing and probably not the guy that's gonna go running through the woods though Kayla (laughs) (laughs) he was one of my favorites I just watched Tommy Boy the other night and it's still just as funny as 25 years ago I like watching on the real channel, like the real story behind some of the these famous people that die. It's actually a really sad story. Yeah, I've seen those too. Yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking, really, when you you look at his life. And um, we watched the one on John Belushi as well as Chris Farley, and it's he really looked up to John Belushi, and I think that that was almost in a sense part of his downfall yeah kind of sad well and the fact that they both died at the same age and of the same yeah reason and yeah very sad yeah but for anybody who doesn't know that's listening to this uh it actually does work well with this case to some extent because chris farley was from madison uh wisconsin so Yep, he's buried on the west side. I think it's Our Lady Queen of Peace Cemetery, I believe. <laughs> on the west side of Madison. Yeah. <sighs> so on that note, yeah. um, so for our Wisco high note this week, it's actually yeah. Be- bring us back up. Sorry about Chris <laughs> Farley and how much we loved him, and he's gone. And yeah, our- well, but he leaves such a strong legacy, and I think oh, there's yeah. always a lesson to be learned. And the you know bad things happen, but I think there's definitely a takeaway from that. You know, there's a lesson to be learned, and um, even the people that he left behind still love him and love his legacy. And I think those that he worked with that could have fallen into the same trap live better lives because of you know, the downfalls that he faced, but so that's a high note. Um, but this week's Wisco high note, it's actually going to be probably late, late news, old news by the time this episode comes out, but it's new news. Um, I guess right now, um, I'm going to tr- somewhat tie it back to the opening Wisco fact, if you will. So in accordance with the recommendations from the CDC, the Wisconsin Department of Health has announced that fully vaccinated individuals can ditch the face masks and return to the activities they took part in before the COVID-19 global pandemic. Woo-woo! Even just got an email from Costco today that said their uh, mask policy follows the CDC and that you don't have to wear a mask in the store. Yep. Um, So fully vaccinated. Sorry, fully vaccinated means two weeks have passed after receiving the final dose of the vaccination. Um, I would recommend per the nurse that provided my last shot to make a copy of your vaccination card, keep the original at home, keep a copy in your wallet on your person and also have a picture of it so that you have proof wherever you go so especially as you're going to have a mixture of people wearing masks and not wearing masks if for some reason you are asked to show proof probably would be a good idea to have it um and you want to make sure that you have that original 
safe so you don't accidentally lose it. So I'd recommend that. Um, also note that even though that's kind of the general guideline from the CDC and the Wisconsin Department of Health, that private businesses can still require the use of masks. So while some people are probably going to push that anyway, I personally am going to be respectful of that, even though I am fully vaccinated. If they want you to wear a mask, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm not going to fight it just because the CDC says I don't have to. Yeah, people need to respect the business owners. Yep. Um, people right. are losing their minds on these people that are just trying to keep their businesses afloat. Yep. So if somebody asks you to wear it and you don't want to, then leave and yeah, let the people run their business. Right, and the business owners, you know, they're they're not going to check your ID to say were you vaccinated more than yeah. likely. Yeah. So they're probably going to err on the safe side, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't hurt anybody to be respectful no, of it does the requests. So that's where I stand personally. Um, currently, vaccination status, um, as of when I looked it up today, 5.12 million doses have been given. 2.4 million people are considered fully vaccinated. So this is for the state of Wisconsin, which is 41.3% of the population. Woo! a good chunk. Um, and so the tie back to the Wisco note is that while Tommy Bartlett's thrill show, as well as many other businesses and tourist destinations have suffered some beyond the point of recovery, this is certainly a sign that things are looking up, starting to turn around. And we should all do our part to safely help those who are still hanging on through the hardships to come back and come back strong. So yeah, Support local, small local businesses, and also whether you believe in the vaccine or not, I think that it is a sign of hope, and I think it is a sign of um, security, and um, I think everyone should just try and do it if they can, um, and if not, just understand the risks, and yeah, I, yeah, this is, this is the best part of the year that we've seen, honestly, yeah. in a while. I mean, this year, I think there's still going to be a lot of differences from how it has been in the past, but we are starting to see signs that things are getting back to quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we're definitely going to have a lot more freedoms, I think, going into this summer than we did last year for sure. So it's going to be really nice Eek to the Lord. Yes. I will just say as a, as a bar manager, I will just say the hardest part is I don't want to police you when it comes to mask and no mask, I don't want to tell you what's wrong or right, because I believe everyone has their own right. But honestly, when it comes to a person running a business and, and having rules, just obey them and respect them. And when you walk out the door, you can do with it, whatever the heck you please, but just, yeah. You know. And I think the one thing with face masks that uh, in particular, a lot of people forget is that you're not wearing it to protect yourself. You're wearing it to protect other people. Others. Yep. And I think that in general, that's the attitude I try to take is I'm not thinking about myself per se. I'm thinking about other people. And it's the same with getting the vaccination because yep. there are people that can't get it due right. to health concerns or age. Like I have young children that can't get the shot. And so it's not just getting the shot to protect myself. It's getting the shot to protect people that can't get the shot. Yep. And I think that that's where we kind of need to come at this is not just thinking about ourselves, but thinking about other people and um, the community as a whole. 
And again, it's just peace of mind, whether you believe in the vaccine, whether you think it'll work or not work, it's honestly just a peace of mind. Let's get these numbers up so that it'll be, um, it'll work. Right. Know? Well, and the CDC would not have released these guidelines if they didn't have solid evidence to show that the vaccination is working and it is protecting people. I mean, they would not have said you can just stop wearing the mask. So yeah, um, that should provide some peace of mind as well. Yeah. Ooh, it's going to be a good summer, guys. It's going to be a good, busy summer. Yeah, I mean. I might not be going to Ishnala, but like, I don't (laughs) know. I might not be lighting 20s on fire outside Ishnala, but it'll still be a good. (laughs) Money is, I mean, even unless it's a wishing well and I'm throwing in a penny, that's one thing, but I'm not about to be lighting money on fire, even if it's a dollar. Every (laughs) cent counts. But that is what I had for this episode. So until next time, eat, drink, and be wary. for listening to Beer, Cheese, and Murder. We would like to also thank the references that make this podcast possible. A full list of references can be found on our website at beercheeseandmurderpodcast.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at beercheeseandmurderpod, where pictures from today's episode are available for your viewing. If you would like to share your feedback, Wisco facts, case suggestions, stories, or just whatever, please email us at contact at beercheeseandmurderpodcast.com. Don't forget to tell your friends, but most importantly, until next time, eat, drink, and be wary. Uh.